your Locked On The Hockey Jets, your daily podcast on the Winnipeg Jets. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can, in fact, follow me on my personal Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you enjoy this episode and want to be subscribed to the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis, or also catch up on previous episodes you might have missed, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is always free, and make sure you miss another beat. Tonight's episode is brought to you by RockAuto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit RockAuto.com today. On tonight's show, I thought I'd talk a little bit about Winnipeg versus Edmonton. This has been a, a bit of an interesting game so far. In the first period, we've seen not a whole lot of action, to be honest. I felt like the Jets maybe had the slight edge and even strength chances. But uh, as far as like any real scoring opportunities are concerned, uh, you know Edmonton's probably going to get the nod on the power play just because they got one late. And of course, every time McDavid touches the puck, he's always a goal-scoring threat. He had a couple of really good backdoor looks that he barely missed on, and the same could be said for his line mates like Yesapuye RV and some of the other guys, including Leon Dreisaitl. As far as the Jets were concerned, I felt like they created a couple of decent scoring chances off the rush, but nothing all that dangerous. I don't think that Miko Koskinen really had a whole lot of work, so generally speaking, I, I wasn't really thinking that this game had a whole lot of even strength action. The shot clock itself really wasn't moving a whole lot, especially for Edmonton, which typically piles on the shots around 30 a game, uh, according to the broadcast. The Jets, I don't really know if they have like a particularly consistent average for the number of shots that they put on target, but I, I don't really care so much in, unless it's like really dangerous stuff. Late in the period, I do think the Jets got a couple of decent tip deflections that looked pretty close, but not really anything that I think Koskinen would allow through. I mean, he's he's a decent goalie. I wouldn't say like he's a leader or anything, but he can do enough to make a couple of key stops and keep the Oilers at least in it. So for both Koskinen and Brassois, I think the best shots ended up going wide. Some of them came off the sticks of guys like, you know, uh, McDavid and some of the other top-end players, but for Winnipeg, it really didn't feel like they were creating all that much. I, I wasn't super impressed. I mean, it's not like a bad performance necessarily, but the Jets just seemed a little bit stagnant. You know, the second line, aside from Dubois, was pretty quiet, and I think part of the reason that the Jets were struggling to do much was because the fourth line and the first line kept getting hard-matched against McDavid, which I don't know why Maurice would do this. Every time the Jets have hard-matched McDavid versus the top line, it always ends in McDavid's favor. Let's be honest, the Jets' top line isn't that fast. It's also not defensively resolute. And to be honest, I don't think guys like Blake Wheeler and Paul Stastny can really keep up against McDavid, Dreisaitl, Puyayarvi, any of those top-end guys. Every time they were on the ice, it felt like the Jets were trapped inside their own defensive zone while McDavid and company basically did a Harlem Globetrotter sequence around the perimeter. So overall, I don't really feel like that tactical approach was all that great. And then Maurice would actually put out the fourth line against McDavid too, which again, not really smart. I get that the perception of McDavid is that he's unstoppable and so you want to get your so-called top players who are your shutdown guys matched against his line so you can use your other lines to essentially pulverize the other Edmonton units. The problem is, is that's not going to make a difference if Edmonton has already scored like three or four goals on those crappy matchup assignments for, you know, Shifley and Thompson's lines. Those guys really aren't equipped to handle McDavid. The only line that I'd really trust with this sort of duty is probably the third line, and even then I think that they would probably get exposed at some point, because let's be honest, it's McDavid. 
he can do that to just about anyone. Unless, of course, it's Neil Pionk. For some reason, Neil Pionk is just one of the only defenders out there who seems to not really have any fear of McDavid. I've seen Neil basically jump into Connor and genuinely disrupt McDavid's play. So that's always a really funny sight. Very impressive, to be honest, and, and something that you don't often see. Aside from that, though, I just felt like this period just didn't have a whole lot going on. That is until the last minute or so of the period when Mark Shifley ended up blocking a really hard shot and uh, ended up going down. I feel like this is a very bad sign for the Jets. When he got off the ice, he was basically hobbling and had to be carried down the hallway. Obviously, like Mark Shifley isn't as dominant as he used to be, but he's still a huge loss for this team because it's going to overtax the rest of the center depth. And to be honest, the Jets just really can't afford to lose Mark for any amount of time. I feel like if he does go down, we're going to see guys like Andrew Kopp or maybe Mason Appleton centering that first line. I'd imagine Kopp gets the nod first just because he's the center with actual experience at this level. And in general, the Jets tend to know what they're getting with him. You know, if Perot gets promoted to the second or third line, that would certainly be very helpful. Um, I doubt the second line's going to change much. You know, Ehlers, Dubois, and Connor probably are going to remain the unit. Maybe Perot gets double shifted on the fourth line and the third line. I'm not 100% sure. I, I think they'll have to juggle this quite a bit. We'll see how they handle it over the next couple of shifts. But to be honest, this is just not a great sign long term. You know, Shifley is very important to this team. And while his scoring may often come on empty nets and whatnot, overall his playmaking, passing, and distribution really can't be overstated. Even with his flagging defensive work, I think it's easy to say that, you know, his absence is going to be a huge hole for this Jets team to try and fill. Maybe David Gustafson gets called up. I don't think Gus is really going to be enough to fill that void. Cole Perfetti's probably not ready to try playing at center, especially at the pro level yet. He's still being used as a wing for the most part with the Moose. Occasionally will center some lines, but obviously in very limited minutes. So all in all, just not a great situation. This was a, uh, you know, an okay period for the Jets until that injury, and then suddenly Winnipeg is in real trouble. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how they're going to handle it, but we'll see if Mark Shifley comes back out for the second period. Hopefully he does. I don't think Winnipeg would be very pleased with a, a long-term injury. I know I certainly wouldn't, so let's just hope it's a bit of a stinger and that he's able to get over it pretty quickly. We'll know soon enough, though, uh, and then we'll kind of go into the rest of this game and talk about whether or not the Jets actually handled their back-to-back -back well or if they have some stuff to work on. Before we dive into the second period and beyond, I thought you should know a little bit about why BetOnline.ag needs to be your one-stop shop for all your online betting needs. When it comes to the wild, wild west of online betting, you need to know that there's a name that you can rely on that's safe, trustworthy, and convenient. That's why you should look no further than BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports action. Football might be over, but the NBA, college basketball, NHL, international soccer, and so many other sports are all in full swing. Even if you're not into sports, BetOnline has your back, covering awards, TV shows, and reality TV. They've got real-time, updated odds, and props on almost anything you can imagine. Whether you want to place a bet on the next Stanley Cup champion, or who you think is getting voted off your favorite reality TV show next. BetOnline also has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds you need to make the most informed bets possible. Getting started is super easy. Just log on to BetOnline.ag or sign up on your mobile device, and when you use promo code LOCKEDON, you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your very first deposit. Again, that is promo code locked on for the 50% welcome bonus when you register at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. For those of you who are longtime listeners of this podcast, by now you know that we're personally huge fans of Built Bar. We've been telling you about how Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar on the market. If you don't know what a Built Bar is, it's the amazing low calorie, low sugar, high protein, high fiber, and delicious tasting protein bar that's always covered in 100% chocolate. There are so many delicious flavors of Built Bar, but to be honest, it's hard to always choose the right one. Can there truly be one best Built Bar flavor? Well, now you can help find out with the Built Bar Madness Bracket Challenge. 
Every week, a whole host of new matchups will help narrow down the final field so we can find out which Bilt Bar reigns supreme. Today's vote, which you can find at BiltBar.com slash pages slash brackets, is Salted Caramel versus Cookie Dough Chunk. I think Salted Caramel is delicious, but to be honest, Cookie Dough Chunk has to win for me. I'm always a huge Cookie Dough fan, but you can make your voice heard at BiltBar.com slash pages slash bracket and cast your vote right now. While you're there, don't forget to stock up on some great Bilt Bar flavors, and when you're checking out, be sure to use promo code LOCKEDON15 to receive 15% off your next order. Go to BiltBar.com now. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We are talking about Winnipeg versus Edmonton. We're now heading into the second period and beyond, but before we go any further, I thought you should know about why you need to be tuned into Locked on Bets every day. Betting on the NHL doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favorite picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow the Locked on Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get your favorite shows. So, the Winnipeg Jets in the second period, I thought actually played pretty darn well. You know, the Oilers in in the first and second period really didn't do a whole lot. Aside from some decent counters and a few good chances when McDavid was on the ice, most of Edmonton really struggled to create anything at all. I I feel like the Jets, especially down low in the slot in front of Miko Koskinen, were really dangerous, constantly making great movements, great passes, some really good shots, just a number of great attempts that really tested Koskinen and put the Oilers under a lot of stress. It was kind of frustrating that the Jets did not open the scoring tonight. Unfortunately, it was Edmonton and, and of course, Connor McDavid capitalizing on a really sloppy play from Josh Morrissey along the wall that ended up giving the the first goal of the game. And, like, this was against the grain of the play. The Jets had been creating a ton of havoc. They were getting really great slot chances. I felt like Winnipeg deserved to be up, and instead they find themselves down one nothing. You know, I, I get that Morrissey is probably under a lot of stress, and he doesn't look physically well, to be honest, but I don't know what the Jets are doing with him, you know? If you see a guy is struggling, and you see some lines are just not really matching well against, you know, of all people, Connor McDavid, don't keep putting them out there against him. Winnipeg, of course, was a tiny bit unlucky to be down, but by the same token, the Jets also put themselves in a couple of positions that really didn't favor them, and I feel like if you're going to run the table against McDavid, he's usually going to win, especially because Maurice just never matches good lines against, you know, Connor's line. You can't be putting out the Shifley line or the fourth line against McDavid because he will absolutely feast on that competition, especially if it's not players like Matthew Perot who was actually pretty good at skating the puck out of danger. The rest of the guys are probably not that fast and really struggle under pressure. You know, Wheeler had a couple of bad sequences that almost turned into goals. Shifley, of course, wasn't really super mobile, and uh, Paul Stastny is definitely not fast enough to facilitate zone exits, so I feel like in general this is just a bad matchup, and McDavid's line always won those battles. Thankfully, the Jets didn't seem super, super deterred. I mean, they did have a couple of moments where they were a little bit slower out of the gates after the goal against, but they they got right back up on the horse and they started creating again. And uh, on a nice counter from the fourth line of all things, Matthew Perot ended up spearheading it and drove through the central slot. Nate Thompson fed him a really good pass that was like a shot or a pass or something, and Perot tipped it in front of Koskinen to make it 1-1. A lot of you know that I'm a huge pro evangelist, I'm a huge fan of his, and I feel like he doesn't really get enough ice time relative to the fact that he's just one of Winnipeg's most consistently productive forwards so far. I mean, he's been an absolute beast, he's actually scoring at a pretty good clip, despite not getting much ice time at all. He's creating so many chances in front of net, he's been very good at, at heading off counters, and essentially cutting them off and creating counters against those, leading to near breakaway chances that he's almost scored on. So I, I feel like he does everything that you would want a guy who should be playing even more than he does, especially for a forward who as as skilled and shifty as Perot is and really good at forcing turnovers. You know, I get that Maurice sees him as like a fourth line option, but 
give Perot some actual offensive options to work with. You know, Thompson's uh, shot or pass or whatever it was was pretty good, but by the same token, that's very rare that Thompson's able to pull that off. Perot needs a little more consistency because he's already producing at a great rate on his own. Give the dude some weapons, man. I feel like Perot is just kind of sitting there waiting for the Jets to untap his potential, which, you know, it looks to be pretty good this season. Sure, he's like 32 or 33, but he looks like he was in, in some of his prime years. You know, let him let him feast, let him do his thing, because right now the Jets really do need it. The top six isn't really scoring as much as it should, especially at even strength. You know, as good as that goal did feel for Perot just a few seconds later, another situation uh, developed with a pass off the wall in the neutral zone that caught Neil Pionk on a two-on-one with McDavid. And of course, McDavid again kind of caught Bressois by surprise and wristed it right past him. I could see an argument that Bressois needed to play that shot a little bit better, but by the same token, I think, you know, McDavid does this to all goalies. He basically just looks you off and waits for you to overcommit or be worried about him passing to the other winger and then just scores himself. You know, McDavid's release may not be like the world's best, but it doesn't have to be. With how shifty and deceptive McDavid can be, it doesn't really matter. He just knows where to pick his corners, and he takes it cleanly. After that goal, the Jets did start to look a bit disorganized. I felt like Winnipeg was starting to fall apart for just a few shifts. It wasn't like a massive collapse like we've seen with this team before, but you could tell that the Jets were pretty rattled. I feel like Winnipeg thought they were about to climb back in this one, and then of course it suddenly, you know, turns against them. They had already hit a post from a Kyle Connor shot that... Looked like a short goal, but somehow deflected off the post and off of uh, Koskinen's pads and away from the net. So that was very frustrating. And then you go down 2-1 after you've been controlling most of the game. And suddenly, just, just things aren't really going your way. And I feel like the Jets have had this a couple of times this year. So I feel like the third period is going to be a big statement from this team to see whether or not they're capable of coming back from situations like this. We've seen them do it before. You know, against the Oilers that aren't really doing a whole lot and tend to be just sitting back and absorbing pressure, I hope that the Jets can hit back and show that Winnipeg is in fact the better team. Some revenge scoring against McDavid would certainly be nice because, let's be honest, McDavid has kind of bossed the Jets so far, even if the rest of Edmonton's roster really hasn't done a whole lot. We'll take a look at what happened in the final frame of this game, or if there is an overtime as well, we'll also explore that in just a little bit. Before then, though, here's why you should make rockauto.com the only place you buy all your auto parts. For the average do-it-yourself mechanic or somebody just looking to buy a replacement part, you might not know what you're looking for. Cars are pretty dang complicated. And even if you do, you might not be paying the best prices available. If you want to stop wasting time and money, look no further than rockauto.com. rockauto.com is a family-run business with over 20 years of experience in the automotive industry. Their easy-to-use intuitive website allows you to sort by make, year, and model, and then apply price range filters so you always get the parts that you need at the prices you want. Whether you're looking for a new engine control module or a floor mat replacement, rockauto.com's varied selection is sure to have what you need in stock. And best of all, you could save anywhere from 20, 30, even 50% off retail brick-and-mortar in-store pricing. Why shop anywhere else when rockauto.com has the best selection of auto parts in the industry and the best prices around too? Everyone always pays the same prices, and there's no membership fee to start ordering. Place your order at rockauto.com right now, and when you do, be sure to write locked on the neat how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com today. Welcome back to this episode of the Locked on Winnipeg Jets podcast. We're going to spend the last couple of minutes wrapping up this uh, Edmonton game against the Winnipeg Jets. I'll save you the trouble and spoil it just a little bit. Uh, Winnipeg ended up losing 2-1. I think the way that they lost was especially frustrating in this third period where the Jets basically didn't do anything. Part of that was because the uh, the Oilers definitely clogged the neutral zone and basically prevented any sorts of clean uh, offensive zone entries for the Jets, which is, of course, very frustrating. And then when the Jets would try to pass or skate through the neutral zone, oftentimes they immediately had a trap and then got countered against. The other thing that tends to suck about this is like the Jets were very conservative and passive and I felt like they were afraid to make the first move because they knew that like 
If, if Connor McDavid was on the ice, he would immediately counter and get up the ice very quickly, and they were probably nervous about giving him or Puya Yarvi or Ryan Nugent Hopkins any space to shoot, which, look, I get. But by the same token, if you're down 2-1, you're heading into the late stages of the third period, you have to be aggressive, and I feel like the Jets just didn't really have a whole lot of initiative. They certainly created offensive zone pressure, and they certainly had zone possession, but they just didn't really create much out of it. I feel like Edmonton basically just sat back, sat deep, didn't really do a whole lot, and just let the Jets kind of tire themselves out. I don't know if Winnipeg had really many, you know, great scoring chances. I think the most dangerous one probably came towards the end of the game when the goalie was pulled, and, you know, Mark Shifley ended up whiffing on an empty net. The shot was probably a little bit difficult, and he didn't really have a whole lot of time to react that the pass was coming to him, but by the same token, if you're Mark Shifley and you're supposed to be the number one center and trigger man, you've got to be taking the shot immediately. That's where, like, a little bit of a killer instinct probably would help in a situation like that, just to be composed and make sure that you actually make contact on the puck. It is what it is. I mean, uh, you know, it's frustrating because this game wasn't in and of itself terrible. It's just, after two pretty decent periods and a couple of, like, bad mistakes here and there, you know, the Jets ended up finding themselves just sort of stifled and bored to death. I mean, Winnipeg really couldn't get any sort of space and time. You know, Nikolai Ehlers was basically marked out and shut down. The rest of the team didn't really create much. The first line, which doesn't really have a whole lot of foot speed, was really struggling to create in-zone offensive opportunities because they could get there. But then the, you know, the defenders behind them didn't really offer much support. And so like Shifley, Wheeler, Stastny, they were basically on an island down below. And I feel like if you don't have guys with a whole lot of foot speed, then you actually have to have your, your blue liners pinch up aggressively and offer some support. I, the fact that the Jets just don't really let their D activate really doesn't make sense to me. If you want to mask the fact that your D can't defend, then let them create offense. Instead, the Jets just sort of petered out and were pretty listless throughout the entire third period until the goalie was pulled. I think they mustered like, what, like three or four whole shots the entire period? And by the same token, Edmonton only had one really great chance, I think, for the entire last 20 minutes, and that was like a Puyayarvi goal line stop from the Rump Other than that, I don't really recall Edmonton creating that much because they basically just clogged the neutral zone and waited for the Jets to tire themselves out. It's very much like a Dave Tippett kind of game where he basically just shuts it down once he's got the lead, and I felt like it was kind of, it was just very ugly and unattractive hockey. I think Tippett knows that aside from McDavid, nobody else on Edmonton's roster creates. It's really sad to see like a team with that much talent basically do nothing with it. And the key reason for this is that the, the talent that they do have is all very much top heavy. You look at the depth lines and there's just not a whole lot there. So Edmonton, once they get like a bit of a fluky lead in this case... They just sat back and let the Jets try to create offense and watched as Winnipeg sort of flailed around and didn't really do anything against the neutral zone and blue line traps. Overall, I feel like this game wasn't horrific, but it was one of those games where the Jets just sort of ran out of ideas and once you, you know, marked out some of their most offensively gifted players and stuff, the Jets just really didn't have a, a backup plan. So, you know, I feel like the Jets need to have some alternative strategies and maybe give, you know, Matthew Perot a shot. If, if you're seeing that your top six is really struggling, let guys who are actually creating and players like Perot maybe get some more ice time. I'm certainly not advocating for the entire fourth line to get a promotion as a whole, but certainly Perot definitely deserves it. I could see a case for an Appleton getting some, you know, boosted ice time. You know, something. If you're not going to, if you're not going to see a, a particular jump from the top six, then maybe look for some guys who have often brought offensive sparks whenever they step on the ice. And those guys often are very good at transition. They've been good at getting in close to the net. You just don't want to let Winnipeg's best lines end up getting frustrated and not really able to create much because that's that's what happened tonight and the Oilers basically just shut the Jets down. It's an annoying result that the Jets will have to live with until Saturday when they get a chance for revenge. Hopefully the Jets actually pull out the win. 
Edmonton has now moved into a tie for first with the uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs. They have uh, a couple of extra games that they've played, so it's not like the Jets won't move back into second eventually, but this is one of those losses where I'm super frustrated because it felt like the Jets maybe shot themselves in the foot with a few too many point shots and some, you know, wasted possessions. I'd love to know what you thought about the game, so let me know at HLLivingLoco and at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets on Twitter. Maybe I'll talk about your thoughts in the ne- next episode and maybe what adjustments they need to make going forward. That will, however, wrap it up for tonight's episode. Before you log off, be sure to check out Locked On Fantasy Hockey. Get the upper hand in your fantasy league with daily fantasy hockey advice from Locked On Fantasy Hockey. Expert Scott Cullen gives you the tips, insights, and analysis for season-long Dynasty and DFS leagues. Subscribe to the Locked On Fantasy Hockey podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you get your favorite shows. And as always, thanks for listening. Have a great night and go Jets go!